Hallelujah. <clears throat> well, I will just have at it and let's see where the Lord takes us. Amen. I do have two full pages of notes and that ought to be exciting. There's some stuff I want to share with you about. I just, uh, I'm going to, there's a story I want to read. But I've been talking, when we started this last week, um, talking about what's the word that was uh, used? Um, not minimalist, but what? Maximalist. That's pretty cool. I like that. I don't know. That just like it, it hit me. I don't even think I, I don't even know if I like as, as I was like getting ready to come up here that like hit me. We're maximalist. I, I know. And that's, that's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> it happens to me often. Somebody will ask me like literally the next day, what'd you talk about yesterday? It's like, I got to go back and look at my notes. I can't remember. Yeah, that's, that's a whole day ago. <laughs> Maximized love, and that's what we're I really we're going with. And I, it's a, it's a I, I guess it's a um, if you would call it a Jeopardy riddle, a question that I want to ask. This question it says is, and here it is. So so follow with me. See if you if you read my text, you should, this should be an easy one, a no brainer for you. It says giving me away is the only way that you get more of me. What am I? Love. Love is the, giving me away is the only way that you get more of me. And the answer is love. Um, love is not a thing that you, that we actually just consume within ourselves because then it becomes something other than love. Love is something that when we, is we give and when we give it away, it's actually the place that we actually are open to receive more. Here's an example. Um, we, we, uh, there's, there's parents in the room, right? Hello? Okay, you guys with me? You guys know how this works. Don't make me come out there and like, yeah, you got to participate with me. I, I am not a one-man show. This is a, this is a church. We are, we are all in, right? We are, this is participation. Okay, okay, that's, that's good point. Good point, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to talk about my kids. I'm going to try to forget them. I come here to forget about them, not, not remember them. You know, I, I don't. I don't believe there's a parent that is, exists that, when they had, a, you have one child, you have one child, and then you have another child, <clears throat> and maybe another after that, and maybe even another after that. As Robin and I have four, there's not. We did not. Oh no, we have another kid. Our love is split in half towards the one kid. Well, and that's like a. A silly thought because it's like that doesn't make any sense because actually the more that is given the more love that actually fills you so it actually it becomes a a doubling effect actually the more love that the more kids you have the more love is in your heart to give it almost doubles so really it's a kingdom principle that God actually orchestrated God designed this thing and it makes sense. As God designed it as a kingdom principle, he's into multiplying, not dividing and not subtracting. He's definitely into multiplying. Love is something that, and, and we think about it as God's love. God's love is so rich and deep and so wide and, and uh, expansive that it's, it could love each and every one of us right where we're at. And the love that he has for us is more than enough than we ever could have need. And that's like, how does, how does that even take place? It's something that is a mystery, but yet at the same time, it's so existent in our world and yet in the kingdom. And 
we have to understand it. I believe if we understand and really grasp the love of God, I know that's, it's a lifelong adventure to know the love of God, experience the love of God, and then share the love of God. So this isn't something that a, like I'm bringing about that's brand new or it's like, wow, revolutionary. or, or uh, it, it is what it is, and it's the love of God is multiplying and as we give it he gives it in us to give it to give to others and that's really a requirement of the love of God is to get it to give and as we give the more that he pours in us to give away hello I know that I just went on a deep little rant there but I I, just to kind of start where we're at to kind of feed us where we're going to go this morning Um, I talked about the uh, uh the I think that the the passage, the verse that's been in my craw, which is, you are the vine, or I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches, and those that remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. <clears throat> I love that. I love that Jesus is he's into gardening, and it's so fantastic to me. I think it's, you know, it's really an awesome thing. But I wanted to ask a question. <clears throat> what does remaining in Jesus look like in your life? Because that's what he said. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, and I in you, and you will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's something to this remaining in him and him remaining in us. As I, as I spoke of last week, the, this, that whole concept of the vine and the branches. You know, the, if, if you look at a grape vine that's fully grown and developed into branches, in other words, it's in the fruiting season, there's, there's, there's no distinction between from where the vine stops and the branch starts. There's, they're connected, so interconnected that you can't tell one from the other. It really does require, and that's why Jesus said it, said, my father is the master gardener. He is the vine dresser. He is the one who does the pruning because he's the only one that can tell where the start is and where the stop is. Hello? None of us. Have you, have you realized that? Have you, have you noticed that in our lives that we, sometimes it's really, you know, it's like, well, where's God in that? Where's God in that? Where's that? It's like, you know what? That's up to God to decide where the start is and where the stop is. Our, our duty, our objective is to simply remain in him, right? Remain in him. Stay connected. So what does that look like? What does that look like? All right, let's talk about it. <laughs> I love it. A blank slate. Let's go for it. I'm going to read John chapter 15. This is pretty cool. Remember what the riddle was. Giving me away is the only way to get more of me. I'm going to put my glass. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Simple things. When you're... Yes. You guys are all blurry, though. That's all to look down, though. John 15, starting in verse 9. I'm sorry, Naomi's back there. I didn't send her any notes. John 15, starting in verse 9, all the way to 17 in the NLT. If you want to pop it up, that's fine. Uh, we could just uh, we could read it along with me. Um, Jesus is, and this is after the, distor- the discourse that Jesus is talking about, the, uh, the vine and the branches. And then he goes on to say this, and I think this is, this is really cool because this is what it looks like. That's what he's saying. This is what it looks like to remain in me and I in you. 
this is how I picture it. This is how I'm going to share it with you to be a part of me and me a part of you. You a part of me and I a part of you. So he says this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. (laughs) Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. For there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen? That's a good word. And as Jesus is speaking this, there's so much to this that, is, is that we could kind of dissect, but I really wanted to hit what the, the main point that Jesus is making is to remain in Him is to love is to love. A maximalist is this, and it's actually, there's a definition for it. It's not a word I made up. There's a definition for it. Is a person, a person, listen to this, a, who favors radical and immediate approach, who favors a radical and immediate approach to the achievement of a set of goals or a completion of a program. Now that sounds like, like well, Okay, that almost sounds like a, 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 it's, the, it's the entrepreneur you want to hire in your new business startup, right? The guy that is a go-getter, a get-her-done guy, right? That's the kind of guy you want to hire, a maximalist. Somebody who doesn't wait around, well, you know, when I feel like getting to it, I'll get to it kind of thing, you know. And that, you know, hey, don't get me wrong, patience is a virtue, amen? Hello? Let's not just throw that out the window. Sometimes we got to wait for God. But if it requires us to get moving, I believe it's time to get moving. Maximal, but I love that it's, it's that, I love that, that, that wording. It's a radical and immediate approach. So it's, it's, I am all in right now. Right now, I'm all in. And Hello? That's where we need to be. If there's any time to be all in right now is what? At the start of a new year. We ought to be right in, right now, all in. Hello? Come on. And, and as we go through this, I know you can say, well, you could, well, what about the rest of the year? Well, yeah, right now, all in, even in the rest of the year. Come on, we don't, we don't wait for just New Year stuff. I am all in right now, and I know that there's something that, and there's stuff that God is doing in this ministry and in our work, and He's using awesome things and, and opportunities to, to move us to something that's. I, I, I'm going to be careful of the wording because I don't want it to sound like something better, as though there's that, as though we're not doing what God has all for us right now, or something greater as though we've been doing something lesser, or something more as though we've been doing not enough. 
But you guys know my, my thoughts, my, my view on pushing forward, pushing into all that God has for us. And sometimes that looks like I have to take a, a self-evaluation or, or an organizational evaluation to say, where are we at so that we can find out where we're going? And that's something I, I, I am so intent on doing as a pastor, as this pastor, just to really look at where we're at and find out where we're going. And, and, and the will of God is the most important thing. Uh, the heart of God beating for this community as Jesus came into the communities that he walked into, whether it's a town, a village, or a person's family, or, or their home, he was listening to the Father, <clears throat> listening to the Father intently <clears throat> on what he needed to be, what needed to be said. <clears throat> so much so that he listened to the Father, and he would, he would hear the stuff that people were thinking without saying it. And respond to their thoughts on a regular basis. That was something that Jesus did on a regular basis. And it's sometimes like we would blow people's minds. Because they would say one thing and he would, he would respond to the question that they were asking really in their heart and mind. Not out of their mouth. So that's, if, if, if they we're going to be about anything, let's be about that. Listening to the Father's voice. And the Father's voice is in his presence. You know, it doesn't require this audible voice that says, Eric, go and tell that person, this person, feed that person, that person. It can. He does. There's so many times I've heard a voice that I swore it was something audible, but it was a voice that was ex extremely loud in my mind and my heart that it sounded audible. Now, his father's vo the Father's voice is in the presence of God. Just we cannot forget that because in his presence is where we're moved. We're moved to, to love because that's what the remaining in him looks like. That's what the abiding in him looks like. That's what the branch is to look like connected to the vine is love. Loving one another. And so that's something that we are intently about. And we're in it all the way. In it all the way as maximalists. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> let's let's. I want to share this uh, story, which is super cool, and I'm going to read a uh, a letter. Maybe, have any of you heard of a, a a man named John Newton? <laughs> of course, you have John Newton, and of course Mike has because he's a musician. <clears throat> and as a musician, I don't know what this piece piece of paper is up here before I keep fiddling with it. I need to focus. <clears throat> uh, he is the one that we most famously know as the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Um, John Newton, though, his testimony is pretty fantastic. His story, his life story, I'm going to share with him. I'm going to read a letter. There's, there's a, a, a plethora, like an, an enormous amount of letters that he wrote called the, the Letters from John Newton. And they're just to every walk of life, to every person. That's what his, he's famous, fam more famous for is his letters. I'm going to read one of his letters in a minute, but I want to tell his story because it's pretty, I don't know, it's, 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 to me it's, it's the definition of a maximalist is John Newton. He, he at the age of seven, his uh, um, mother had passed away due to uh, tuberculosis, but before that she had infused within him just the love of God, the scriptures, and just taught him all these things. And at the, at the age of 11, 
he uh, went off into this, went uh, uh, onto a ship with his father. And so he was a seaman at the age of 11. And, and um, quickly started to, uh, as, a, as a person, as a man, or, or as a young man at the time, being all in in everything he did, on the ship and as a seaman, he got all into basically immorality. And he became a, it's, he's probably the one that were, you know, spoke like a sailor. That was him. Not only that, but here's something that he even shares. I, I got to share that. I got to. I got to read this because I had to. Like, I wouldn't be able to remember it. it. Says he was so arrogant and insubordinate. By the age of 15, he actually was was uh, excommunicated, flogged for being such a rebel rouser on the ships because they couldn't have that. And he was so arrogant, insubordinate. He lived with it with just moral abandonment. It says that I sinned with the highest hand that I could have. And he also made it a study to tempt and seduce others to sin with him. So that was John Newton as a young man. As a young man, before he was even 20 years old, he was already kicked out, joined the Navy, the Royal Navy, and then kicked out of it before he was even 20 years old. And it, but he always was all in in everything he did. So, so he was reading a, a discourse... Um, Oh, gosh, what was his name? I, I read. Anyway, he was actually reading something that God and God spoke to his heart, and he became he converted to Christianity by simply reading a story. God grabbed a hold of him as his sailor, and so in the midst of all of this, though he's doing something extremely that was uh, very popular at the time which he got himself involved in slave trading. In fact, he actually became a captain of a ship where he ran ship, uh, uh, slaves from Africa over to the Americas and Africa all over, all over the Europe. And so he, he became a slave trader. That actually, and that was something that was extremely acceptable. But here's what happened, though. As he, as he started in his life doing, doing this slave trading and he started to pursue a relationship, an intimate relationship with God, God also took that man that was involved in slave trading and actually turned him upside down, I think, right side up. And then now he became an abolitionist against slave trading and actually worked to actually stop it altogether. And it was really awesome. So his stories, and then he became a, a pastor uh, in, uh, it's uh, only is where it is in, in uh, oh man. Do you guys know, does anybody know where it actually was? Are you looking it up? Anyway, okay, so it was over there across the, across the pond. I know that. But here's this letter that he writes. And so as I'm sharing that because it's so awesome to know that this is the man that when you read his the, the Amazing Grace, you're like, wow, okay. He was so in touch with where the grace of God, that, that God actually had the mercy to save him right where he was at. But so much so that he didn't leave him there. Took his experiences to use. He was a maximalist. And here's, I, I want to read this letter. It's a little lengthy, so follow with me. You guys okay with this? Yeah. Okay, good. It's pretty cool. Uh, that would be like somebody with a today. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody that was involved in, you know, whether it was in the mobs, which there's so many testimonies of that kind of thing on a regular basis. It's really exciting to read the testimonies of lives 
radically transformed. I love that. Don't you guys love that when you hear those stories and testimonies? It's like, wow. I mean, it, it, there's many that I, I'm not thinking of right now, but I know that there's a lot out there. Uh, <clears throat> listen to this. He says that this is a letter. It says, the church of Christ is composed of all... Okay, the title of this letter is this. I'm going to tell you this one. i got to get to because it's really cool. Every man's shoes should be exactly the same size. Listen. <laughs> okay. The church of Christ is composed of all who are savingly united to him by genuine faith. They are infallibly known only to himself. They are scattered far and wide, separated separated from each other by seas and mountains. They are a people of many nations and languages. But wherever their lot is cast, they hear his voice and are under his gracious eye. They do not have equal degrees of spiritual light or measures of grace. But they are all accepted in the Beloved. They are all spiritual worshipers and joint partakers of grace. And all will hereafter appear together at their Savior's right hand in glory. In whatever is essential to their salvation, they are all led by the same spirit of mind and, and by the same thing. The same spirit and mind, the same things. But at present, this is, this is this, by the way, 1780-something uh, is when this was written. A couple hundred years ago. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> but at present, and this is why it's so uh, impactful to me when I read this. I'm like, at present they are an in, an, in an imperfect state. <clears throat> Though they know they are new creations, they are not freed from the principle of indwelling sin. Their knowledge is clouded by much remaining ignorance and their zeal, though it's right in its aim, is often warped and misguided by the corrupt influence of self they are still they still have many corruptions they live in a world which furnishes frequent occasions of enticing them and then there's satan their subtle and powerful enemy is always upon his watch to mislead and ensnare them and besides all this they are born educated and effectually called under a great variety of circumstances, habits of life, local customs, early relationships with family and friends, and even bodily constitution have more or less influence in forming their characters and in giving a bias in turn to their manner of thinking. So that in manners of their secondary nature, that's their spiritual nature, their sentiments may and often do differ as much in the features of their faces. A uniformity of judgment among them on these secondary matters is not to be expected. While the wisest are defective in knowledge, the holiest are defiled with sin. And while the weakness of the human nature, which are all common to them, they all are so differently affected by a thousand impressions which arise from their various situations. You guys following what he's talking about? Okay, good. A couple of us. That's all right. Okay. I know it's wordy, but it's super good. I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us understand what he's saying here because this is where it gets good. They might, however, maintain a unity of spirit and live in the exercise of mutual love were it not that almost every individual unhappily conceives that they are bound in conscience to prescribe to their own line of conduct as a standard to which all their brethren ought to conform. They are but few who consider this narrow mindset. In other words, there's many of us that think this way to be 
as unnecessary, unreasonable, and impractical, impractical as it would be to insist or expect that every man's shoe should be exactly the same size. Thus, though all are agree in asserting their authority and right hand of the Lord Jesus as king and head of his church, yet the various ideas they frame of rule or standard to which he requires them to conform and their pertinacious, which that means they don't give up, attachment to their own conceptions of it they separate them almost as much as the as much from each from each other as if they were not united to him by a principle of living faith their petty differences they form so many sep- they are formed in so many separate churches and the fury with which they defend their own ideas and oppose all who cannot agree with them in the very minute points make them forget that they are children of the same family and servants of the same master. And while they vex and worry each other with with disputations and censures, the world is bewildered by all of this and laughs at them all. The spirit of love is restrained, offenses are multiplied, and Satan is gratified by beholding the extensive effects of this pernicious and long-practiced maxim, divide and conquer. And then he says this, Romans 15, 7, accept and love one another just as Christ accepted and loved you in order to bring praise to God. Amen? I know that was lengthy and wordy, but I wanted to share it because it's so impactful to, I believe, what church and the kingdom of God and what we're to be about is loving one another right where we're at. You know, we say that phrase, I think we've heard it, we say it, God loves you right where you're at, right? How much do we really believe that, though? How much do we really believe that God loves every individual right where they're at? We, want, we say it and we want to believe it and we, we really want to practice it. That, and and to, to be that extension, the, the branch of that love to everyone right where they're at. And that, that requires this awesome thing. It's just simply, yes. God, I want to be that branch. But see, here's the thing, too, that we, not, we must remember and we cannot forget that, yes, God loves each and every one of us right where we're at, just as he loved you right where you were at. Hello? Did you, did you get all cleaned up before you went and took a bath? No, you got into the bath to get cleaned up. We come to Jesus because we're messed up. We don't get right before we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus to get right. That's, that's been the rule ever since the dispensation of grace, which that's where we live, which is since Jesus resurrected and the Holy Spirit came. So that's the rule that we should and continue to live by. So that, that to love right where we're at is, is a... I want to challenge us to really think about that as we live that. You know, but at the same time, here's what I want to challenge us to. I want to go deeper with that thought for a second, if you allow me. And I got another passage of scripture because it's, it's where Jesus, 
I'm going to give you the, the example where Jesus was the maximist. Max, yes, maximist. <laughs> um, God loves you right where you're at. It's very true, very true. But please don't tell a half-truth because it's only a half-truth. What's the full truth? As a parent loves their child right where they're at, any good godly, or you don't even have to be godly, you just have to be a parent, and it's instilled within you, the love for a child. Okay? Loves right where they're at. But doesn't every parent, just as God, also strives to see that child be all that they are supposed to be? In other words, we love everyone right where they're at, as God loved us, but God also loves us enough to not leave us right where we're at. Hello? And that's the full truth. That's the full truth. That's the place where Jesus said, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. That's the place that Jesus comes into our life and says, I love you right where you're at so much so that I'm going to transform you into my image. I'm going to make you something that is holy and acceptable to me by the power of God and the Holy Spirit inside of you that I'm going to gift you with, I'm going to fill you with. And, that's, and so, so there's this, this, this participation on our part to receive the love of God, but then let that love of God do something inside of us and make us different. And that is also, the, that's the full truth. So it's, it's, it, and that, that is a full truth that we must convey in this world, in this age that says, hey, accept me as I am or I'm walking. And, and, that, and that's, that, that there is an acceptance as we are, but, but we got to tell the full truth. Hello? I, you know, just even this morning as I was watching the kids play up here and you know, there's a, a, a maternal thing that Krista did for one of her children is got up on the highest step and, and she was, you know, could have fallen. And the maternal thing that she did is she rushed over there with another kid in her arm and got the kid off the high step because that was a dangerous place to be. But, but, but this is where I want to be. I want to play up here. <laughs> right? And, and this is, this is the, the stuff that we, we've got to lovingly say that's not healthy for you. Who you are and where you're at is how God loves you, but he, he doesn't want you playing up on the high step because you will fall. And, and that's, that's also love. Hello? Anybody agree? Okay. All right. Well, I just, maybe I was by myself on that one. That's okay. I'll pause for a second. John chapter 13 this is the passage I want to read because it's really fantastic because I do have time. I wasn't sure if I'd have time. That was a quiet one. What happened? Must be from Lincoln. This is, a, this is an illustration that Jesus gives us as a maximalist. John chapter 13 such a fantastic scenario that takes place here in, in um, just kind of give you the, the, uh, <clears throat> the background of where this is at. This is uh, right before the Passover, and this is the week that, it, that you know, in fact, the last, like, literally 10 chapters of John are the last week of his life, 
And so this is one of the, the place where he comes in and he, he's, uh, um, <clears throat> they're getting ready to eat. And so they come into the house. And, of course, if we learn from another gospel that, that he sent some ahead to, uh, to prepare that meal and prepare the house for them to have this last supper. So there's this place that Jesus knew was coming. So he knew that there was going to be this house that was prepared. Because remember, he sent two of them away. There's going to be a donkey there. He's going to be watering his donkey. And you're going to be able to go and say, hey, my master requires this house. They go, oh, okay. So, which is such an odd thing to me. That's so cool. That, anyway, so, so he knows what's going to happen. They're going to travel to this house. And as they travel to this house, the, the custom of the day was the, um, the servants would, would, uh, would, would wash the feet of those who were the guests of that home, into that home. But Jesus comes in knowing that there's no servants there. He does something that's pretty amazing. We'll read this story here. It says, Before the Passover celebration, this is verse 1 of chapter 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He knew that this, he knew that this, uh, this, his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his, his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and that would, he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist. And poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. <laughs> Have you ever gotten that answer from God? It's biblical, just so you know. It's right there. If you get that answer from God, just know that it's one that Jesus gave often. Someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. <laughs> okay. Simon exclaimed, well, then wash my hands and my head as well. Not just my feet. <laughs> Oh, you got to love Peter. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you, disciples, are clean. But not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. So after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Amen? Hallelujah. 
There's something in there that I don't know if you caught or noticed. And I want to hit on because talking about us being maximalist, radical, immediate, and obedient. And to be the branch from the vine, abiding in Him, loving. Are we catch? Are we with, back with me now? What did Jesus do in washing the disciples' feet? He became a servant and served them, correct? Now that seems like, wow, okay, here's, let, let me paint a picture that I don't know if you're seeing right now, though, because I want us to see this picture. In this room amongst one another, that may be so simple to do for, for a lot of us. In other words, it's like, yeah, I'll serve you, brother. I'll, I'll, I'll help you, sister. We, I'll do whatever it is that I need you to do. But see, here's where we, 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 we need to take it to the next level. And I think the level of maximalist, that we need to take it to the level that Jesus took it. We need to do as he did. We know that we, he washed Peter's feet. Because we have this discourse, but we also know that he washed all the disciples' feet, including Thomas, who actually challenged him in this. Like, because right after this, you know, he talks about you know where he's going, and Thomas, obviously, that's where he gets the label doubter. Because then, even when he was resurrected, it's like I got to see it to believe it. But even this, Jesus says. You know, he says, I am going somewhere where you cannot go. But where I am going, I'm going to tell you, it's great, fantastic, and amazing. For in my Father's house, there's many rooms that I go to prepare a place for you. And Paul's like, where are you going? Like, I, I, we can't see it. Where are you going? And he's like, come on, Thomas. Haven't you gotten it yet? I'm going to the Father. And so, he, you know, I... I I know with Jesus was patient and kind, but I think there was times that he just raised his voice and said, what is wrong with you, dummy? Okay, maybe he didn't say dummy. But he might have just been like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Right? He, he washed his feet. But did you catch who else's feet he washed? Judas's feet. He washed Judas's feet. He served the one that he knew would betray him. He wasn't clueless to it. He served the one that was going to stab him in the back with a kiss. He served the one that wasn't going to serve him back. Was going to do even worse than serve him back. He was going to bite him. And he still served him. You see, that's another level, isn't it? You see, that's another level of service and love to where we love and we go an extra mile and we go farther than the worldly acceptable love, which is, it's easy, and, 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 and Paul writes about it, it's easy to love somebody that loves you back. It's easy, in fact, Jesus said it, he challenged us all the time with that kind of, that thinking it's like, if you're going to do that, you're just like the world. You're just like everybody else. And then it becomes just a club where we all think the same. And, we, and, you know, and, and to join this club, we have to have the same size shoe on. And that's, that's where he's challenging us to love everyone and all souls right where they're at. 
even the ones that there's a really high risk of getting hurt. In fact, almost a 100% chance that it could hurt you. It could come back to bite you. And he says, still serve that one. Still love that one. Still go that extra mile. And let God deal with that. That's taking our faith to a whole nother level, isn't it? Because it really is faith. It really is trust. Trusting in God and not in what we think and what we see and what we think ought to, how people respond. Because I don't know about you guys, but does, this, this message has challenged me to love without any strings attached. Without anything that, you know, any expectation of a return other than just obedient to what God says to do. Other than this, and it's a great return though, it's a great return. Staying connected to the branch. Staying connected to the vine, that is, as a branch. That's a good return. And that's worth it. And that's where we need to be throughout this year. And that's why that passage, that verse, I'll probably refer to it all year long, if not longer. I don't know. I say that and then something else comes up. But this, that's one that's stuck in my craw now. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Love is so rich. It's, if I could just, again, if I could just say it a hundred times over, I will. Continue to love because the more you love, the more he pours into you. The more you bless, the more he blesses you. The more that you give, the more he gives to you. And it's just not dealing with money. It's dealing with everything. It's dealing with sacrifice, surrender. Because like I said, it's easy to serve those that, you know, hey, thank you. That's so kind of you. It's easy to do the thankful thing for somebody that's actually thankful. Hello? How many of you have said it? And confess if you have. I'll never do that for them again. They didn't thank me for it. Yeah. I, I, I went the extra mile for them, and they didn't even say thank you. It's like, oh, come on, Christian. May that never come out of your mouth ever again. Just repent of it now. I do. Instead of say, well, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And if they don't see it as something, as an act of love, I'm going to do it again. And then again and again and again and again. And that's what love looks like. Because there's no empty. The more I give it out, the more I'm filled with it. So it's not like, Oh, well, I gave enough, and that's what they, 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 they used up all of their grace. Like, is that, a, is that a thing? I've heard people say that. They've used up all of their chances. I, come on, Christians. Amen. Are we Christians here? Okay, then they should know us by what? Our love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love for us. And it's above and beyond what we could even ask or imagine. And so even as we're talking about it, Lord, we're asking for you to give us opportunities to just love, to be a, a branch, to be an extension from you, the vine, to be that which is helping those in need, that which is loving no matter what their, their social status is, rich, poor, they all need you, Jesus. And so we 
are obedient. Right now we say yes to your will. We say yes to what you have us to do. Give us an opportunity to love right where people are at. In Jesus' name, fill us. Fill us as we give. Fill us with more so we could give more. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory. Amen and hallelujah. Amen.